hour three of the Fan Morning Show. Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi. No, this is not a wrestling show. Have you ever been to a lot, like a like a, oh, a yeah. TV yes. event? Yes. It is so much different. Like, it's so it cool. Is oh, it vastly is vastly different. No question. Vastly different compared to being at a house show. I've been to, yeah, but I've been to multiple TV events over the years, whether it was for WWE or even other promotions. Are you going to Money in the Bank? Here's the problem, Matty. This place is way too damn expensive. So I haven't been able to afford to get in that building for any type of WWE-related event in years. I feel like it's actually years. not as bad now. No. Oh, my God. Okay. You want Pull up the prices. It's it's You need to talk about Arm in a Lake to go see the Leafs, which, I mean, do what you will. Can I, can I tell you something? We'll see if we can make it work. Oh. We know some people. Oh. We'll try. I would love to that. Yes, I would love you know who, to be there. Be you know, present for that. You know who you need to talk to for this? The producer of this program, because he knows everybody in this building. <laughs> Azo does. Jeff. Azo, Jeff Azo Party. Yeah, he's, tell, got, he's got some pull in this place. I always tell people, you better be careful around Jeff Azo Party, because he knows where the bodies are buried. Ooh. From a guy that worked at a cemetery, that is a very, very <laughs> important thing to do, is know where the bodies are buried. <laughs> yes, I did that. Um... <laughs> Your brain does so many weird things getting up in the morning this early. Um, mine is no different. Uh, is uh, we're just we're just waiting to connect with with Luke Fox here from Sportsnet. Um, the Chris Tanev deal kind of takes the headlines and the connection that everybody makes is, and it's funny. Like all of a sudden, people think like, "Oh, Chris Tanev's off the market. What are the Leafs going to do?" It's like there are other players in the league that are you know, available sure. that, that the Leafs could bring in. Sure. I don't think that they're going to go crazy in, in their spending. I really don't believe that to be the case, but I'm kind of just like, okay, the world didn't end because Chris Tanev got traded. That's no disrespect to Chris Tanev. He's a really good player, mm-hmm. but I mean, really the sky is falling in Toronto because Chris Tanev has been dealt to Dallas. I mean, okay, <laughs> sure. Uh, joining us on the line now, Luke Fox, from Sportsnet. This insider is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Mr. Fox, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Excited for a big uh, Maple Leafs Coyotes showdown tonight. So uh, I'm doing all right. Well, the Coyotes have lost 13 in a row, so hopefully that means uh, some good <laughs> some good karma for the Maple Leafs after seeing their seven-game winning streak. And uh we were I don't know if you heard it, but we were just talking about how it seems like the sky is falling after the Leafs were unable to convert on potentially getting uh Chris Tan of prying him away from the Calgary Flames. So Luke, is is the sky falling? Is that where we are? Like, what's going on? Is it is it all doom and gloom now that Chris Tanev is off the market for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Well, it gets pretty thin on the rental market, at least, after Chris Tanev. I mean, to me, he was far and away the best fit for the Leafs, and I'm sure Brad Living feels the same way, at, at least in terms of guys that were available for relatively cheap on the uh, on the rental market. Just his brand of hockey. We just saw the Maple Leafs play a game with six left defensemen. I mean, you know, hopefully Timothy Lilligren's injury isn't serious and he's back in the lineup soon. But remember, Lilligren was a healthy scratch for some time in the playoffs. And this team all of a sudden has a real, real shortage of righties. I mean, they've had a shortage of righties for a while, but now it's getting a little bit ridiculous. And Morgan Riley is screaming for a partner. It's become evident that TJ Brody is better on his left than his right. Um, You know, Jake McCabe's done a decent job playing his offside. 
but they need a guy to play with Morgan Riley if they want to if they want to compete. They need a little bit more lefty righty balance. And Chris Tanev is exact precisely the type of guy that would have fit the Leafs structure. You know, he kills penalties, blocks shots with his face, heart and soul guy. Uh, you talk to any of his teammates, and they say he's like one of their favorite teammates they've ever had. He's like a team first guy. Um, you know, built for the playoffs would have been perfect, which is why it makes a lot of sense. Dallas Stars, a, a true contender, went out and got him. Uh, but when you look at the assets Trey Living has to play with, the Leafs don't have a second round pick for the next three years, guys. Like, uh, yeah, the asking price would have been a first from the Leafs, um, and uh, I guess Trey Living felt that was that was too steep, but. You know, they're, they're kind of handcuffed. So Trey Living apparently was trying to trade multiple thirds, trying to get a deal that way. Uh, you know, otherwise he's got to go for the first or he's got to dip into the prospects. And really the only prospects that opposing teams want for, you know, a high-caliber player are Cowan and Minton. And, you know, there's a good case to keep those guys, especially Cowan, the way he's lighting up the OHL. So, and that's a lot to give up for a guy who may walk out the door after a playoff run. Um, so it, it gets pretty thin. Like uh, now, what are you looking at? Sean Walker, Ilya Labuchkin. I mean, these are kind of, uh, I think they make your team better, but they're, they're stopgap solutions. And right now the asking price for them is, you know, a second or equivalent or a second and a prospect that was also a second. So uh, the prices are high right now, and, and Trey Living's looking at what Kyle Dubas left them in terms of trading of assets in order to acquire, and there's not a lot there. No, there certainly isn't. And now here, here's one name that, now that Chris Tanev is off the board, and it's been a name that has been bandied about as a potential fit with the Maple Leafs, and that's Matt Dumba. Now, is there a chance that the Leafs, don't have any interest in Matt Dumba for well they didn't they certainly didn't you know want to bring him in as a free agent because they could have given him John Klingberg's contract but could they look at it and go you know what we could have got this guy for free we're definitely not giving up an asset for him because not only is that a bad look but we didn't want to give him that contract in the offseason and he ends up in Arizona do you think there's kind of that I don't want to call it non-buyer's remorse but hey we're not going to make ourselves look bad here because Matt Dumba is is not going to be the difference between us you know winning or not winning a Stanley Cup yeah I, I, I'm I've been a Matt Dumba fan I, I don't think I don't think, oh, because he didn't sign here in the summer and we went with John Klingberg instead, you can't circle back. Uh, I don't think there's so much pride that, oh, it didn't work out in the summer, we can't revisit it. I, I think it's it's worth exploring. And the Coyotes are one of the few teams that are absolutely a pure seller. Uh, and he is a right shot. I, I, I used to love this guy. So I covered... Um, the uh, the 2018 Jets uh, Wild Series, and Matt Dumbo just popped off the ice. He was everywhere. He was creating offense. He was throwing hits. I was like, this guy's such a gamer. Like, he would look good on a- anyone's team. But he's fallen off a little bit. Um, and I was at, at Mullet Arena uh, with, for the Leafs-Coyotes game uh, last week on the road trip. And... You know, he looks a little bit lost. He took some undisciplined penalties. I think he was trying to make an impact, but he's playing for a lousy team. And uh, I, I don't know if it's how much of it is him 
losing a step or how much, you know, when you're in the middle of a 13-game losing streak, how much the inspiration goes. And if, you know, a trade to a contender, whether it's Toronto or, or any other team, uh, right D are, are in demand, whether a trade to uh, a team that's playing meaningful games could rejuvenate Dumba a little bit because he's the kind of guy who plays with a little bit of an edge. Uh, he does have, have some skill. Uh, you know, could contribute on, say, a second power play unit if you want to. Uh, I, I wonder if he, 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 you could get more out of him if he's suddenly playing meaningful games and not kind of wasting away in the desert. And it, and it is on the Coyotes to move a guy like that because he is on an expiring contract. Uh, the Coyotes are in an interesting position, though, because they, ha- they have almost too many draft picks. Like, they're getting silly with, with the number of picks they have. They have, at some point, they need to turn those picks into actual, actual bodies. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see. But I, I think it's worth a call just because there's only a handful of right D available um, in, in terms of pure rentals, and Dumba is suddenly rising up up the charts. Luke Fox from Sportsnet joining Matt Marchese and Daniele Franceschi here on the Fan Morning Show. So in speaking of the rental market, let's move to the market where, you know, maybe there's a little bit more. There's not much more, albeit, um, but guys with one year left on their deal after this year. And I, I circled a couple of guys that I thought, hmm, I wonder what the interest level in those guys would be. Now, we don't know what Seattle's going to do, but Adam Larson would be yeah. would be near or at the top of my list, a guy that I might be willing to part a first-round pick with. And if we're being honest, I don't think Seattle would let him go for anything less than that. David Savard is another one. But there was another guy that, you know, maybe it could work. He's got Stanley Cup experience. He's got certainly got a lot of playoff experience. And he's played, you know, in the division. Jan Ruda was another guy. You know, talk about wasting away in a place. He's in San Jose. He's got one year left at a palatable number. I think it's $2.9 million. And if I'm not mistaken, he played a little bit with Victor Hedman as well. I wonder about those three guys, but in terms of a cheap option with another year left, Jan Ruda was a guy that I kind of had circled as if uh, to say like, mm, I wonder if there would be interest there. Yeah, that's, that's a good name. You bring up uh, kind of under the radar and you're right. He did, he did play with Hedman and Hedman liked playing with him. you know, pretty plays pretty simple, like meat and potatoes style style game, but that's kind of what the, the Leafs need, right? They need a partner for Morgan Riley. Luke Shen, you know, is basically a third pairing guy on a, a Stanley Cup contender, like on a, a real legitimate team. Um, but he he elevated his game in his short time with the Leafs, and he was just the exact right partner that Riley needed. Um, so when you think of uh, Hedman going and taking chances and, you know, jumping up in the rush and, and trying to pinch in an off, offense, Ruda was the kind of guy that would hang back. And, and that's kind of the guy that Riley's always performed best with. So I, I don't mind that if, if it's cheap, right? Like the other thing is like, do you want to go spend too much on a, you know, a pretty average defenseman like Jan Ruda, albeit a right shot. I mean, I, of those guys you listed, I like Adam Larson the most. Yeah, me too. But I, but I, I also think, uh, you know, Ron Francis is probably going to take this thing down to the wire. He He's such a patient general manager to begin with. And the fact that the Kraken are kind of sort of lingering around the wild card, no one in the West seems to really want to jump up and seize that spot. There's been a lot of jostling last month, month or two. Um, in that that race, 
I wonder if he's a little bit more patient. And, and, and when a guy has term, you're like, okay, we trade Adam Larson if you're the Kraken. Uh, suddenly, you got to play next year. You want to keep the fans interested. You want to be in the race next year. And then you turn around and you're looking for a guy like Adam Larson. So uh, to pry him out of there, I think you'd have to, it would be a first plus. And is Trey Living willing to do that? And I, I don't think he should dismiss some, a move like that entirely because you're going to be in the same situation next year. Like, who are the righties the Leafs have under contract uh, for, for beyond this season? You know, Timothy Lilligren's going to want to raise. He's an RFA. Uh, yeah, you got you have Connor Timmons, but I mean, when you're healthy, is he even in the lineup? Like, uh, there he has to start thinking like, not only do I need a, a guy for this playoff run, but I need one for the next one. So those are the types of deals that I think might be willing to part with a first four. Now, I think the asking price would be a first plus, but it, it's something that that he should start considering now because I mean, he's he'd been asking about Tanev since the summer, and it never got done. Like. This is a serious hole in the Leafs lineup, and those are the types of deals I like where your head's at that he should be considering. Normally, there's a lot of turnover when it comes to, um, you know, just the the natural lifespan and, and cycle of a of an NHL offseason and, and transaction season as a whole during the year. But I, I, I don't know if this is maybe too simplifying it too much. But Matt and I kind of touched on it in a conversation we had earlier this morning, and I think it's appropriate to maybe raise the question and get your your input on it. But does it does this feel like a situation where the Leafs could be looking at a drastic overhaul with their blue line come the beginning of next season? Because you just referenced as well some of the 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 options or the lack thereof that they have on the blue line, even long term beyond this season, and that's just naming the right handed guys. Well, even if we look at like Jake McCabe's contract situation, Mark Jordan. What does his future hold? Uh, TJ Brody coming off the books. He'll be a free agent. Unlikely, we would imagine that he'll be in the fold again next season. So is this a scenario where we could be looking at a drastically different blue line? Because in saying that, it feels like that's the one area of this team where Bradtree Living hasn't necessarily been able to really put his stamp on it just yet. Yeah, he hasn't. Uh, I mean, he, I guess he tried to with Klingberg, and, and that was bust um, and actually got lucky you know you never say guy needing uh season ending surgery is lucky but in terms of the cap pitcher uh and and signing bad contracts he got lucky but you're right it's it's wide open so they have morgan riley under contract great uh great number for next year they have jake mccabe at a reduced rate he's only two million on the leafs cap for next year great i i love how he's turned his season around and then they have a wide open slate like they need to start filling bodies. I would be. I, I. I like TJ Brody, and I especially like him on the left side a lot more. I think he's come around. Uh, but Brad Living already let this guy walk as a UFA from Calgary when he was a younger, uh, you know, pro- probably more in his prime defenseman. Uh, do you think he's going to now resign him? Probably not, unless Brody's willing to take a, a serious, serious discount. And I've talked to Brody, and he'd like to resign, but those conversations haven't even happened yet. So uh, it, the writing feels like on the wall that they're they're ready to move on from from TJ Brody. I mean, you, you never know. Uh, 
Little Grin is a, a really interesting case. Um, you know, he's he's been so inconsistent. He's he's had to deal with some injuries, but he is a righty and he is still only 24. So you'd like to think there's another level he can get to. Uh, the team does have team control, so they could bring him back. I absolutely think they should bring Simone Benoit back. I think he's been fabulous. I think he's been something that this uh, blue line has been missing, just in terms of the elements he brings. Uh, I think in a perfect world, he's on your third pair. But I think there's also more to get out of Benoit. I, I, you know, he seems to be stepping up the more he's been challenged in terms of minutes and responsibility. And he shouldn't be too expensive to bring back. But otherwise, you have to start taking a serious look at the UFA market or start looking trade now because I absolutely right. This blue line should and 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 probably will look at a ton different next season. Uh, Luke, I wanted to focus on the goaltending here because you know Ilya Samsonov is is played a lot, and um, Joseph Wall was activated. He did not dress on Tuesday. Do you expect that he gets the start tonight? Because you know Danielli and I have talked about this, and and Danielli has said it. Like, if there was ever a game that you wanted him to come back, it's probably this one, based on what we see the schedule looking like over the next couple of weeks. With you know a lot of Boston, you got the Rangers mixed in there, even the Sabers, who the Leafs tend to struggle against, especially of late. Do you envision a scenario that Joseph Wall is starting tonight, or um, do you think that they, you know, maybe he plays? on Saturday night? Like, what do you think the plan is here for Wall? Uh, they've been very tight-lipped, so I, I don't know for sure. Uh, and it was interesting that they didn't even have him back up uh, last game, you know, especially after he had had a full hard practice and had that game in Laval where he, he looked fantastic. I think he made 36, uh, stopped 36 of 37 pucks, uh, got a win down, a, down on the farm in his conditioning stint. But if I were to guess, I would say you start him here. I mean, we just talked about how the Coyotes have basically a pop gun offense. They're, the the any motivation has already been sucked out of that room. Uh, are they that much of a step up above Laval at this point? Seriously, like <laughs> I, it's, it's a, it, like it is barely an NHL team. At least they've given. got Clayton Keller. That's all they yeah, have. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. I, I, look, they there are some there are some talented players on that team, but they got nothing to play for anymore. And, and do, do you know what it's like walking into a dressing room after you've lost 13 in a row? Like, Oh my God. And there's anyway. a college dressing room after all that too. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the Leafs having lost to Vegas will probably mean we're going to get a, a rebound effort from Toronto. Like the skaters in front of wall, uh, you know, walls hasn't played in the NHL since the first week of December. So, uh, you would think the guys would rally around that a little bit and, and try to defend really hard. So to me, it makes a ton of sense because the next game is the Rangers Saturday night, prime time. Rangers are rolling they're, They drive the crease. They're a little bit edgy and nasty and they'll use the Leafs as kind of a measuring stick game. They'll get up for that game. So uh, to me, this is, this is the wall start. It should be. And then we could have the heavyweight fight as well between Matt oh, Rempe yeah. and, and oh. Ryan Reeves. I mean, boy, that would be something. Yeah, Luke, uh, barely an NHL team, barely an NHL franchise, and Gary Bettman's in Winnipeg <laughs> talking to the fans and not the people in Arizona. <laughs> oh, the irony. Oh, the irony. Luke, uh, thanks so much for taking uh, some time for us today. Greatly appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight, pal. Okay, you guys too. Take care.
There he goes. Luke Fox, the great Luke Fox. That insider was brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Toronto Maple Leafs hockey tonight on Sports in Ontario as the Coyotes come to Toronto and Scotiabank Arena. Puck drop scheduled for 7 p.m. Hockey Central gets you started for it at 6.30 with David Amber, Elliot Friedman, Nick Kiprios, and Justin Bourne. Also catch Leafs talk after the game on radio and Sportsnet Plus. So the goaltending. So Luke is is in lockstep with both of us. Love like if it. there was ever a spot to start Joseph Wall and just kind of, you know, get your feet wet. Yeah. It's against this, as Luke called it, the pop gun offense of the Arizona Coyotes. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. But if they don't start him here, like what is the landing spot? Like are we looking at Buffalo next week? What's interesting about their schedule is the next window of opportunity would probably be an upcoming back-to-back situation for this hockey team where they have one coming up. I think it's next week, towards the end of next that's, week. That's Buffalo. It's, that's Buffalo? Buffalo on the Wednesday and F- Boston, followed by on, Boston the on the Thursday. So, now, here, now, here's the other thing. If the, if you are an analytics person, it tells you start your better goalie against the weaker team so you're guaranteed to get it. And that's what all the teams and, do And on days. the first night. So... If they're going on that logic, guess what? It won't be Joseph Wall that no. starts that game. So I, I agree. Like it's Arizona. Like their schedule coming up is, it is tough. It's I mean aside from Arizona, it's yeah. The Rangers, the Bruins, the Sabers, the Bruins. Then you got the Habs. By the way, the fact that they haven't played the Habs since what October? I think it was literally the first week of the season, if not opening night. This will be their first meeting since then. It's crazy. It's insane. The schedule makers. It's like, criminal. Let's that give, just, I come on. Let's give our heads a shake here. Like not for nothing, but I don't care about the Leafs playing Arizona twice. I don't. Yeah. Like so have true. them play the Honestly. Habs an extra time. But anyway, I know why they do it and whatever. But then they get the Flyers. Well, you know why Arizona has to the play. Flyers. You know why Arizona has to come here and play. So that they can help their gate. There you go. They can actually make money there in you their go. revenue share. That's why. What a sad organization. It, it like, is sad. Like, you know, talking, you know, when, when Luke was talking about Matt Dumba there too, like if you're Matt, I know Matt Dumba gets paid and he chose to play there. Although there weren't a lot of suitors for him clearly. Cause he ended up in Arizona, you know, talk about not being motivated to play. Like imagine walking into a college arena when you've been a professional hockey player at the NHL level, not just any professional hockey at the NHL level. And you're like, I got to walk into this every day. Listen, I'll be the first to admit, like, uh, if I was if I was single and 25 years old playing at Air, you could do a lot worse than playing uh, at Arizona State ice hockey arena. You could you could do a lot worse for sure because there are some things about Arizona State University that people should know about, and I'm not going to tell you, but you should Google them. All right, Google that's it. all I'm telling. I you. I might have to Google it myself. I'll tell you in the break. <laughs> okay. There was a good text here from Bob from Burlington, and I think it speaks to the goaltending conversation, and, and he raises a good question. <laughs> I'm not going to say you every say, single element. You can say that. Lads, what think, happens? Wait, if, wait, hold on. Azo, can we say that? I, I'm going to tread lightly, but I, so I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase. Lads, what happens if Sammy has a bad game tonight? <laughs> he is overdue. You are very, I would have said poops the bed. There you go. <laughs> Because that's what that's he said. a better way to say it. He did not swear, so I no, will give Bob. No, I think we can. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Either We're talking way, about feces on the air. Good, I think he, yes, I think you can say. I that. think it's a very, very good question. I think it's a fair and valid question to ask. Well, if he does, then you no, almost but, but, have no choice but to start. Yeah, Wall but do you on want, Saturday? Yeah, but do you want that to be the outcome and your first 
the first vision that we have of Joseph Wall, the first visual since November, is him playing against the New York Rangers, a hockey night in Canada, in an important Eastern Conference matchup against one of the better teams in the conference. Is that what you want? I think you're you're... I think you'd be playing with fire if that's what you're going to uh, try and experiment with and you're going to thrust them in against a team that is very good. To me, it's a no-brainer. This makes too much sense. It's only, it should be too obvious to to them to to throw him out there against the Arizona Coyotes, lost 13 straight, an offense that is like 26th in the NHL in terms of goal scoring. It feels like a great, easy, soft landing spot. And also, Maddie, I will say, speaking just to go back to the waking rank for a second, if Wall plays... I would be tempted to take the Leafs uh, on the puck line. <laughs> I feel like they would get no, up to no play allowed. for him. No, no, no. You're be, three and zero already. I, you don't honestly, need any more handouts. I honestly notes. feel, in, and and Luke kind of hit on this as well. You can't tell me that if Joseph Wall plays tonight, there's an added level of urgency from the guys in front of him. They're going to be motivated. They're going to be hungry, and and they're going to want to reward him for being back in that net. Give him a, an opportunity to have a very first, a good first game coming back off of the injury. It, to me, it's a no-brainer. A couple of things there. One, I do agree with you on the way the team will play in front of Joseph Wall. Um, also, common sense is not so common in this world. I know. So don't ever believe well, that that is the case. That's why. I, I mean, I'm not confident. And and they've the fact that they've been so tight, tight-lipped gives me some reason for pause here when it comes to the decision-making as to when they're, how they're going to deploy him and when they're going to do it. <laughs> you know what I'm thinking of? It's like... <laughs> I'm thinking of like the Leafs keeping this tight lift because everybody expects them to start Joseph Wall and then they start Ilya Samson. I'm like, gotcha. <laughs> no, no, no. You, no, no. You, you, had you. you want to know the real answer? Oh. Martin Jones is going to be between the pipes. Could you tonight. imagine? That's it. You, you want to you see Leafs Twitter burn down? Watch that if oh. he starts tonight. Now, um, there was uh, the, the other thing too with all of this is. I feel like, and I feel, it's also been so long since he's played, and it was a time where Samsonov was struggling and Wall was playing better, but I also felt like the Leafs in general played differently in front of Joseph Wall, period. I think that they took a look, I think they were, not that they were, they weren't playing like fire wagon hockey, but they were able to take more chances because at that moment, they were more confident in the guy behind them. It's why teams like Tampa Bay had had so much success because they can play, maybe not even stylistically, but mentally, you can free. play more free because it's like, I know if I make a mistake, it's not necessarily going to end up in the back of my net. For sure, that's, that's a big what, deal. That's what teams with really good goaltending that they have a lot of faith in, that's how they play. You play differently when your goalie's really good. That's why Tampa, you know, with Andre Vasilevsky at the peak of his powers, which is not this year, but him being at the peak of his powers, I think that that made a massive difference for the way that a team like Tampa Bay played. A team like the Rangers played when Igor Shosturkin was getting Vezina consideration. So I, I think that matters. Now, is Joseph Wall going to instill that same type of confidence right out of the gate coming back from injury in the NHL? No, I do not believe that that is the case. But having said that, I do think that the team does play differently with him behind them. Will we see that tonight? I don't know. We shall see. I, I would hope that logic prevails in this situation and they do start Joseph Wall because there is, first of all, the cries for Joseph Wall to start, I feel like have been pretty pretty evident like we know that they are there but also 
Could you, like, if Samsonov were to go out and have a bad game, yep, and then they have, because if he plays poorly, they have no choice but to start somebody else against the Rangers. If Correct. Joseph Wall goes out and have a, has a poor performance, you're like, okay, it's his first game back. Yes. There's a little bit of give oh, and take well, there's here. There's lots like, of latitude okay, there, Yeah, You're giving yourself yeah. latitude there with that. There is a lot of leash there. For sure. So we, we will see what happens there. Um, don't screw this up. Start Joseph Wall. This is a no-brainer, guys. Like, don't. I don't need to tell you this. You know better. Don't galaxy brain it. You no. did. You, you galaxy brain the end of the second period on Tuesday, and it bit you. You know where. So, it just be smart. It bit you in the butt. It bit you in the butt. Be smart. Yeah, we don't. Well, smart, be logical. Smart does not always uh, use go, common sense. Smart does not always go with Toronto franchises. Uh, that I can tell you for yeah. free. I've lived here my whole life, as of you. So yeah. we know this very well. We know this. We're also <laughs> Buff- we're also Buffalo Bills fans. Yeah, we know this true. very well. <laughs> All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, Vivek Jacob, author of the weekly newsletter Raptors in Seven. You can also find his stuff at Sportsnet.ca. He will join us. We're going to talk about last night's game, but we're also going to talk about Norm Powell's comments about a statue for a certain Raptor, and it's not who you might think. All that coming up when we come back. It's the Fan Morning Show. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi, you're listening on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. It's the final block of the Fan Morning Show for Thursday. The Leap Day. February the 29th. Leap day. Leap Happy day. birthday to all the leap day babies. There's a lot of young ones out there. It's pretty cool. It's actually very interesting. It's cool. I'll tell you off the air why it is that way. Okay. It's very scientific. Okay. I feel very smart. I'll tell you. Uh, Vivek Jacob, author of the weekly newsletter, Raptors in 7. You can also find his work on sportsnet.ca and Locked on Raptors joins up. Vivek, how are you today? Doing great. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're good. I mean, the game went a little bit long for our liking for getting up early, but I mean, I, when I saw a seven thirty start, I went, Oh no, it's my one week on the morning show. Can we just get a seven o'clock start? We'll be okay. That's all right. We, and and we Maddie, you nailed it because it didn't tip until like after seven forty. I you know. said it yesterday morning. You called it. Yeah. Seven thirty. It's not even going to tip for another 10 I minutes was, after that. I was moving a couch last night for my buddy and, um, not me by myself. I'm not that strong. But we, uh, yeah, it was, I was like, I got home and I'm just like, oh, this game's barely started. Like, of, co- of course it did. Yeah. Uh, anyway, on the court, what we saw last night was a pretty good first half, even defensively. Like, I know the Mavs put up a ton of points on them, but it felt like at least the effort was there when it came to the Raptors. And then the second half was like a tale of two teams. I was trying to figure out who was on the second half of a back-to-back last night. <laughs> Like mm. when you're watching that game and you and you see the first half and then you see the second half, what's going through your mind about this Raptor team and just, you know, let's face it, not being able to compete with teams that have superstar players. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that last line bearing on it, enjoying the most about the Raptors post all-star break is the compete level overall. I think even after the third quarter to kind of, you know, not let go of the rope and keep at it. And, you know, at the end of the day, if Kyrie and Luca are, are just too much star power, that is what it is. The third quarter, you're right, giving up 40 points and losing that quarter by 15. There's it, it just too much carelessness, a little too much sloppiness. And I think those are things I would attribute more to a young team still trying to learn consistency and 
you know, just consistently trying to do the right things um, and staying disciplined and staying focused. Whereas you've got a Dallas Mavericks team that is uh, competing to get out of the play and avoid, you know, that bear where you're potentially going up against a Lakers team, a Golden State team, and who knows, you know, with how jammed it is, potentially even, you know, sneaking up to home court. So we'll see uh, that difference between the Raptors and those teams that really have major things at stake. And and you knew the Mavs, you know, coming off that loss to the Cavs where Max Struess has that uh, game winner from beyond half court. They were going to come in ready, making sure that they didn't drop this one too. Luca's birthday, he gets 30, 16, and 11. So I, I think I'd attribute uh, the third quarter more more to that stuff than anything else. And I think you summarized it very well there, Vivek. Um, he, I mean, Luka Doncic was fantastic. And what a 24-hour stretch for him. Like, he he went between the two games, had 70-something points, 30 <laughs> assists. Like, that is, it's wild to think about how efficient and and even, like, it wasn't, you know, the volume of shoot. His, he was shooting a good percentage on a, on a decent volume, like 26 for 54 during the two-game stretch. That's that's a pretty solid couple days work if you ask me when it comes to any NBA player in today's day and age. Um, that being said, you know, I, I did want to circle back and talk about Scotty Barnes with you briefly because I saw a lot of consternation yesterday, uh, post-game reaction in regards to some of the shooting woes that he's experienced as of late and 0 for 5 last night from deep. But I got to be honest, I, I really, like, I didn't find it all that noticeable in terms of the, his game like the totality of his game, because I feel like he's still played exceptionally well and has made an impact in other areas, not just last night, but, and it's not exclusive to that game. If we go even further back, you look at the way he's been playing as of late. It feels like even when he's not shooting it well, the most encouraging sign is the fact that he's still impacting the game in other, with other elements that he's presenting and bringing to the table. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of Scotty Barnes, right? The fact that he can impact the game in so many different ways. And we saw, uh, again, when I mentioned, you know, fourth quarter, not letting go of the rope, he stayed in attack mode. He was constantly looking to get into the paint um, and create problems from there. His playmaking, um, his defense. So he brings a lot to the table. Um, I think the three-point shooting, I think it teams recognize that, okay, uh, you know, those, those, those first couple months he was shooting um, catch and shoot threes really well. Um, I, he's nowhere near where he needs to be as, uh, a pull-up shooter off the dribble. And I think teams are more willing to concede that he's shot uh, 27% from three in January. He's at 23% for, uh, from three uh, for the month of February. So obviously to see that dip is disappointing. But again, this is all part of the journey with Scotty. It, it's, it's definitely a healthy sign that he made a leap in terms of his catch and shoot threes. Uh, but now he's got to take that next step in, in terms of taking these tougher threes that come his way now. Uh, but again, coming back to his overall game, it, it's hard to have too much to complain about because he, anything that is off the plate for him, he finds other ways to eat. He brings other things to the table. And we saw the 19, 11, 7. He had three steals in this one. He had five blocks the other day. So he, he's always finding ways to contribute. Vivek Jacob, author of the weekly newsletter, Raptors in 7. Uh, you can also find his work on sportsnet.ca and Locked on Raptors, joining Matt Marchese and Daniele Franceschi here. So I've, I've had this, this thought in my brain that I look at this team offensively and I say, okay, it, it does tend to look a little bit prettier. 
the ball movement has been fantastic. They've been able to shoot a little bit better. But then I go back to, well, how do you evaluate when they play teams like the Mavs and the Pacers who, let's face it, don't play defense. And I know that, you know, we've talked about this all week, this, this epidemic in basketball about teams just not wanting to play defense. But how do you evaluate that when you see a guy like quickly have a season high of 28 points, RJ had 26 points yesterday and offensively they looked good, but going up against teams that maybe is, is that the barometer? It's like, okay, you did this against two teams that are not so great defensively. Let's see what you do against teams that actually give an effort on that side of the basketball. Well, hey, if you want to see that, there, there's games coming up. They got the Golden State, sure and New do. Orleans, and Phoenix, and Denver. So you'll get to see that soon enough. I, I think what you appreciate so far is, you know, the process. And I think with Emmanuel quickly before the break, a lot of us were saying, okay, this guy is capable of scoring at a much higher level. He needs to look for his own a lot more. He's a bit too passive on offense, trying to fit in a bit too much on a new team um, and not step on anyone's toes. And that's been encouraging, right? The fact that he's come out now and every time he even gets a look at a basket, the shot is going up. That's what you want to see. RJ Barrett, he brings uh, that assertiveness automatically. That's, that's just in his DNA. So anytime he gets an opportunity, he's taking it to the rack. He is shooting 60% on twos, 40% on threes. The only thing you want to see change is the free throw shooting. He is really, really struggling from there. He is only at, he's just under 60% at the free throw line as a Raptor. And so for all his, all his trips to the basket, uh, you want to see him convert a bit more at the line. He was four of nine at the line last night. And so I think it's just evaluating the process with, with each of these players. You look at uh, Scotty Barnes and the chemistry he has with Jakob Pertl and Kelly Olynyk Now the, the way that is functioning, Emmanuel quickly and the chemistry with Jakob Pertl. So I think all these chemistry attributes are what you're evaluating. And then I fully agree. You, you can evaluate it on a higher level to a higher degree when they go up against serious, serious teams. Bigger picture, Vivek. Um, I've been fascinated by just this new core in general. And you mentioned how there's a lot of chemistry built in with this roster and they're starting to really show signs of, of enjoying playing with one another, having a better understanding of how to complement each other's skill set. The core as a whole, and that being Scotty Barnes, RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly. Um, what do you think the ceiling for that core group looks like? Is it a group that has an alpha built in within it? Or is it a scenario where maybe this is a group that two, three years down the line is going to be in a position where, yeah, that's a nice nucleus of players to have on your roster, but they might still be in a position where they're one big piece away, a big fish away from being able to re-enter that true title conversation. Yeah, I think for sure, if you were to project out, they would be missing that one superstar tier piece to be a title contender. Now, if you were to look again individually, Scotty Barnes, if you were to say best case scenario, what's his ceiling superstar, right? Now, is he that go-to guy closing out every game, giving you, you know, 10 points in the last two minutes every single time? Maybe not. So maybe that's where quickly comes in and it needs to be uh, done between the two of them quickly. What's his ceiling? Is he a superstar tier yet? I wouldn't put him there yet because of his finishing around the basket. Um, I, I'd probably say he's more of um, 
an all-star ceiling right now. But where does R.J. Barrett fit into that? So can he get to an all-star ceiling? Possibly there's a path. Um, but for now, I'd probably put him a tier below. So what does that, if you have a core of a best-case scenario, one being a superstar, one being an all-star, and one being a bit below that, what, what does that portend to? And you, you'd probably say, you know, somewhere between 45 and 50 wins, uh, I, I think is a fair estimate for that team. And so you're still looking for a level above that. And then, you know, some of that might come down to just building in the right way. And that's what uh, the front office is trying to do now, where, hey, you've got a center in Jakob Pertl who's more traditional. You've got a center in Kelly Olenek who is a space-to-floor guy, has some playmaking chops. And so you see how that fits next to Scotty and quickly and RJ. Uh, and, and then you evaluate down the line with guys like Ochai Abaji and Grady Dick. And, hey, what, what does Gary Trent Jr.'s future look like on this team? And so I think there's going to be some mixing and matching the next few, couple of years. Um, and then uh, you're going to have some hard decisions to make because I think in terms of all this projecting of the ceiling in a couple of years, you're going to be closer to what their reality is. So yesterday in a Sportsnet exclusive titled Cabby versus Norm Powell, the former Raptor talked about a lot of things, including which former Raptor should get a statue outside of Scotiabank Arena. Vivek, listen to this clip and we're going to talk about it after. So here's Norm Powell with Cabby. You've referenced Kobe and D-Wade as players who you would want to model your game after for many years. Mm. Both of those Hall of Famers will be honored with statues in 2024. Mm. Which Raptor should get a statue first? And here's the list. First. Vince Carter, uh-huh. Chris Bosh, DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry. Who should be the first Raptor to get a the statue? First, the first Raptor should be Vince Carter. Really? Yeah. Over Kyle? Yeah. Why? Because without Vince Carter, we wouldn't be what the Raptors are today. Kyle would be next. Vince, then Kyle. Yeah. And no disrespect, but I just, I just think what Vince Carter meant to the city and to the game of basketball in Toronto, starting off, you know, kind of putting it on the map and making everybody take notice, you got to respect that. He was the first one that laid the path for everything to go on today. And Vivek, your answer to that is what? Do you agree or disagree with Norm Powell there? I'm going to disagree with Norm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> All right. I like it. I, I, I do think Kyle Lowry is the one who should get the statue. I, I do think Vince's jersey should be retired first, and I think it would be great to see that go up in the Raptors. Statue, I think, takes it to a next level. And I think Kyle Lowry uh, being part of that championship run um, being regarded by many as the greatest Raptor of all time. I think he uh, is the one who should get uh, the flowers of uh, a first statue. So I, I thought about that as well. And the whole Jersey retiring thing and um, the statue, like my thing is, is like Vince has the signature, right? Like he has the signature for the statue. <laughs> it's it's the it's the the dark the tw- between yeah. the legs. So so we're going. Who would look cooler? Here? Well, th- well, that's part of it. Well, what's, but, what's Kyle's going to look like? What is it? Yeah, that's. A- I guess what is the, the 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 if you close your eyes, what is that visual that pops into your head? 
For me, it's probably him taking a charge. I got to be honest. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably but, it. But but not but not only that, Vivek. I, I agree with with Norm's assessment of like where would this franchise be had Vince Carter not been a part of it. Like it's impossible to know. But Vince Carter put this franchise on the map in a way that I don't because and especially because of you know stylistically the way that he played. You know the the high impact highlight reel dunks. Whereas Kyle Lowry didn't have that. And and I, you know, the impact of Vince Carter on Canadian basketball as well plays a role in this for me too, being that this is the only Canadian franchise in the NBA now. I definitely see the case. There's definitely a case to be made for Vince. It's not like there isn't. And uh, I think, you know, you're splitting hairs. I, I do think that with Vince, that's why absolutely I want to see his jersey go uh, go up next year. In fact, you know, 30th anniversary, he's potentially going in the Hall of Fame. It, it makes so much sense uh, for the Raptors to do that next year. Uh, in terms of the statue, I, I just knowing how things went down in that final year, uh, it was it was ugly. It was really ugly, um, and he hasn't necessarily owned his part in that. Um, and I think that leaves me a bit sour on that. Um, I do think with Kyle Lowry, there were moments for sure uh, that weren't great. But I think on the whole, the fact that most people now regard him as the great, greatest Raptor of all time, the, the fact that you know he did usher in that We the North era and the consistency of success that we've now come to expect and judge this franchise on. And... Uh, you look at that championship run, the way he closed it out, uh, to go from a game one where he had zero points to a, a game six where he comes out, absolutely lights out, finishes with 26 points, nine, 10 assists, and uh, was just absolutely phenomenal. The image uh, for me would probably be, uh, it was at the end of the Milwaukee series and his realization that they were going to the finals um, yeah. I don't know if you guys I remember, remember that, that visual. Yep. Yes. Yeah. To, that, to me, the, the that, that would be the statue. That giddiness yeah. where he was like exactly. pumping his fist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be the statue for me. Okay. I like that. This is this is the debate that will uh, will rain on until someone gets a statue. <laughs> oh, and beautiful gets fodder for talk radio, it man. It certainly is. Uh, Vivek, thanks so much for taking some time for us today. We're heavy up against it. Uh, good luck with the, with the sub stack. I, I know you're a great read. Uh, continued success with that. All the best, man. Thanks so much, guys. Take care. There he goes. Vivek Jacob, author of the weekly newsletter, Raptors in 7. You can also find his work on sportsnet.ca and Locked On Raptors. Daniela, we have a Jays lineup for today. Woohoo! Uh, George Springer leads off. Vladdy Guerrero Jr. batting second. And then we have Kirk, Kiermaier, Escobar, Horwitz, Kiner Falefa, Jimenez, Rodin, and Jose Barrios on the mound. Let's see Vladdy turn around a 97-mile-an-hour heater. That would be nice. That he's done would a be lot nice. Of, he's done a lot of missing those. I don't yeah, know about swing and miss. On uh, whiff percentage is probably pretty high on that pitch. Uh, and yeah, he wasn't great against the heater last. Well, actually, his numbers balanced out okay against the heater last year. But he struck out a ton. He struck out a ton. He sure and struck out a ton when it mattered. Yeah, that's another. Yeah, thing. that's another. Uh, anyway, there's something to monitor for spring training, Maddie, for these grapefruit league games. Watch how Vladdy is handling the heater. Yeah. Keep an eye on it. It's a good barometer. Uh, Toronto Blue Jays baseball on Sportsnet or streaming on Sportsnet radio as the Philadelphia Phillies come to TD Park in Dunedin. First pitch scheduled for just after 1 p.m. We also have Leafs hockey on the TV network tonight. David Amber, Elliot Friedman, 
Nick Kiprios and Justin Bourne will be bringing you the action. Chris Cuthbert and Craig Simpson on the call. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Hey, Jeff has a party's off tomorrow and Monday. So we will thank Jeff Little for weasel. his great work. Weasel for week. taking the Friday off. Even though he was a jerk to me all week, you can tell <laughs> we've worked together for a long time. Uh, thanks to Josh Santos behind the glass. Daniele Franceschi across the table. You've been listening to the Fan Morning Show on Sportsnet 590. The Fan, have a great day. We'll chat with you tomorrow morning.